You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. We are on episode number 30. Yeah, so it's a pretty big number for us, I think. Yeah, 30 is so many. Yeah, that's like an age that people freak out at. Like, have a. <gasps> that's right. You I just, just turned 30. You just turned 30. <laughs> it's meant to be. <laughs> a happy belated birthday. Thank you. I just wrote my age down the other day for the first time after I turned oh. 30. And I was like, this is so different from all those years in the 20s. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, what did you do for your birthday? Uh, Seth and I went to Guangzhou, which is about an hour and a half, nah, about an hour north of here. If you go by car, it's really fast on the high-speed train. It's Ooh. like half an hour to 45 minutes. Yeah. Wow. And um, we got some pictures taken of ourselves. And then we went to the Canton Tower, which is the fourth tallest tower in the world. But, and also this weekend, I'm going to celebrate with friends, too. Awesome. <laughs> so, the other day, Seth was like, um, what are we doing this weekend? And I was like, celebrating my birthday. <laughs> It'll have been like two weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we're going to go out to... um like a Japanese steakhouse. It's all you can eat and all you can drink. Mm. That's for two hours. And then after that, we're going to go sing karaoke. That's so fun. Yeah. Oh, and Rachel's mom is visiting. Yeah. So my mom has been visiting. And last week we went to Sevilla and then we went to Cadiz and then to Ronda. So all in Andalusia. Mm -hmm. And they are in Granada right now. And I came back to Madrid. Cool. Well, today we are going to talk about getting off the beaten path when you're mm -hmm. traveling. Yeah. So we have some advice on how to get off the beaten path and some places that we have gone slash want to go. Yes. And I think sometimes it can be a little difficult. So we're also, I think, at least me, I'm also doing it for my own benefit. <laughs> yeah, definitely me too. <laughs> Listen to my own advice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just some things to think about for sure. But first we have some language news about Arabic. Yeah. So this was something that I have, you know, heard a lot of people who either learn Arabic or speak Arabic talk about, mm -hmm. but not something that I have too much personal experience with so it was really interesting mm -hmm. to me yeah me too rachel and i both have experience with uh people who speak arabic just in our background because i know rachel you spent a lot of time with exchange students mm -hmm. living in the u.s through being a host and a mentor mm -hmm. and um i taught a lot of students from Saudi Arabia when I was in the U.S. I was teaching them English. Right. So this article was about how even though Arabic is the fifth most spoken language in the world, mm -hmm. it actually is on the decline in 
people who are learning it. Right. So there was a big uptick mm-hmm. in the number of people learning it between 2002-2009. So that was mm-hmm. right after September 11th, and that's when we were getting really involved in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, especially people probably who wanted to work in government or work in foreign affairs or something like that, were studying Arabic. Right. In fact, between 2009 and 2016, Arabic learning declined by 10% in the U.S., mm-hmm. which is when the U.S. was still fighting against Iraq and ISIS. So you would think that people would be paying more attention and be w- more willing to learn Arabic. But one thing that tends to turn people off is the fact that it's actually a group of languages, Arabic. So right. you learn modern standard Arabic, MSA, and that might not help you very much when you're going to a place where that's not very well understood. Yeah, exactly. So it's, people call it a macro language. So it's it has a lot of dialects that are really mm. region specific. And yeah, actually, I knew a girl in college and she studied Arabic and she was really into the culture and everything. And she went to Jordan and she didn't understand anything when she got there. Uh, And then she had to learn like a whole new language, basically. Yeah, exactly. So Latin, the language, Latin is to today's Romance languages as modern standard Arabic is to the spoken versions of Arabic. Right. So if you think about Latin and, for example, Spanish, they're not really close. Yeah. It has their own vocabulary, their own grammar, Mm -hmm. the different pronunciation as well. Yeah. I think you gave the example that uh, the sound becomes either a d, s, t, or z sound. (laughs) Which makes a big difference. Yeah. The the TH sound is the one that you made right there for anybody who didn't pick up on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, my voice sounds like this. I'm a little losing my voice. And then some dialectical words are borrowed from European languages. Telephone is used instead of MSA says hatif. Other versions of Arabic draw on local languages like Turkish, mm-hmm. so... That's a big turnoff. For anybody who's learning modern standard Arabic, they might find that it's not actually as helpful as they thought it would be. Right. They have to learn kind of several, like a group of dialects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it said there are five big dialects. Mm-hmm. North African, Egyptian, Mesopotamian, Levantine, and Peninsular Arabic. It sounds kind of like... It's not really equivalent, but a little bit like Chinese. Okay. Just because there's so many different ways people speak Mandarin, which is something I've been learning <laughs> lately. You go around the country and people switch consonants around. Oh, wow. So my neighbor is from Sichuan province, and the other day I was going to work, and go to work is Shangban, and he said Sangbar. Oh, wow. And I was like, Oh my god, I'm so... I can't even believe that I understood what you said. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But yeah, so it sounds a little bit like that. And I guess if you're going to learn Arabic, you have to know already why you're interested in Arabic, like what country you're interested in, because you're a little bit locked in at that point. 
Yes, exactly. And another thing that makes it really difficult is the way that it's written. Mm -hmm. So it's written very traditionally. So to write it, they might have to change the grammar. But basically, it's really complicated to write. And so it's said in the article, it's almost for them like writing in a foreign language. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like a little bit like Swiss German as well. Swiss German is only a spoken language. And then when they write, they say they're writing in almost a foreign language because it's not a written language. Mm, Okay. But basically when people speak Arabic across different versions of it, they use features across the bigger dialect with bits of modern standard Arabic and try to avoid the peculiarities of their own dialects. Right. It's code switching, basically. Yeah. I think it's also, yeah, the same as talking to a non-native speaker. Mm Mm-hmm. You wouldn't use the same amount of, like, yeah, like, sayings or phrases, but to a much more extreme level. Yeah, degree. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And this has ramifications in the amount of written Arabic there is. So there are three times as many articles in French on Wikipedia as in Arabic. And the Arabic book market is about a quarter the size of Belgium's, so... I think even though it's such a huge language, the amount of variety in the spoken language kind of brings down the amount of communication, Yeah, it sounds like. And I wonder if in the future it'll actually become distinct languages instead of just dialects. Ooh, yeah, maybe. Especially since modern standard Arabic is actually not that modern. Right, yeah. It'd be, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if that'll happen during our lifetimes, but... Yeah, maybe if... I mean, another reason for not learning Arabic is obviously the political tension in the Middle East. But I wonder if that political tension will kind of lead to even more divergence among the different languages, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. Okay, well... I'm happy to have learned a little bit more about Arabic. Me too. So let's go on to our main topic. Yes. Getting off the beaten track. I am so excited about this. Yeah. And I think this is something a lot of people perhaps want to do, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of difficult to know where to begin. Mm -hmm. I think so. And you know, something that I realized when we were in Guangzhou a few weeks ago was you really need time to get to know a place and to kind of figure out how to do your own thing in in an area. Yeah. It's one thing to land in a place and get up the next morning with an itinerary and just, like, get going with, like, instructions on how to do everything. But if you really want to try to get off the beaten path, you need at least a day or two to, like, start to figure out your surroundings a little bit and get a feel for the area. Yeah, to orient yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that that's true. I mean, I just got back from traveling, as I said. Yeah. And we were in Sevilla, I guess, for three days. And I think it was when we were leaving that I felt like, okay, I kind of understand more or less like how the city is laid out. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and then it's time to leave. (laughs) Just in time to get out of there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, it is. So I think it can be really tricky if you're doing kind of a whirlwind thing to really get off the beaten track. And I guess you probably just have to do a lot of research ahead of time. Yeah, or 
try to take as much time as possible. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt when we were leaving Guangzhou. It was like, okay, we've spent 24 hours here. I kind of have a feel for what I want to do and where I want to go and how it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> by that time, it was time to leave. So how how do you get off the beaten path? Like, what are some ways that can encourage you to do that? Yeah, well, I think the number one that you've got here is um, talking to people. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, especially if it's like someone from the area originally, mm-hmm. but it could also be like an expat who's lived there for a while, but they're going to have much better tips. If you just look at TripAdvisor or, I don't know, a guidebook or something, mm-hmm. you're going to get the same information as everyone else who goes there. Yeah. And not to say that that's a bad thing, but it's not going to be off the beaten path, really. Right. You might get lucky and find something on TripAdvisor, but something with 500 reviews is probably going to be a much-traveled path. And there's there's usually a reason that something is a well-traveled path, because yeah. it's usually pretty cool. But it it is kind of fun sometimes to do your own thing and find little treasures that other people haven't found yet. Yeah. Or it's not like, you know, in the top 10 things to do and you can see something that's a little bit less touristy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Whether it be like a restaurant or a church or something else. I don't know. (laughs) An archaeological site. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That'd be really cool. An archaeological site. Yeah. And you'll probably have a story to come back from after going off the beaten path. It's another advantage. Yeah. Some of my best travel stories are from doing things where there were not really any other tourists. Mm-hmm. And they might be like scary in the moment or a little bit intimidating. But then afterward, it's usually a pretty good story. Definitely. <laughs> there are a few websites you can go to. One is eatwith.com and withlocals.com. So eatwith, I checked that website out a little bit. It looked really interesting. I think there are a lot of them in Europe and you find an event that's organized by a local or a dinner that's hosted by a local and that person might host you in their home for dinner or with locals.com, they might take you somewhere. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Harnessing the power of the internet. To, like, yeah. do anything, really. For connections, basically. Yeah, it's so cool. Another one is partywith.com. That sounds <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, this is a very new style of doing this. But I guess it would be the same if you went to a bar and you just started talking to somebody. Right. For me, that's pretty hard, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I usually wouldn't do that either. Just because... If you've listened to our travel scam episode, like you still have to be on your guard about everybody that you meet. So I guess if you go with one of these websites and something bad happens, then obviously you can report that person to the website. But um, maybe if you use one of these new ways of connecting with people, you might feel safer doing it. Yeah, and it might. it's also facilitated. Like yeah. the hard part for me is like, putting myself out there and like yeah you know talking to somebody and like what if they're like no I'm just here like with my friends or something (laughs) rejection yeah and I'm like oh well (laughs) there goes that but (laughs) (laughs) 
But no, it's just I'm not the best at striking up a conversation with like a stranger. So I think yeah. this could help facilitate that and reduce reduce anxiety or something. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I'm more of an extrovert than you are, but I still like if I were at a bar, I would definitely need several drinks before I started chatting with locals like, hey, what are you doing later? And yeah. at that point, like I probably just want to go home. <laughs> Because I'm getting drunk. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a good idea. I think I want to try it sometime. Yeah. Another one that Seth and I did when we were in Nepal was we hired a guide. And that's the easiest way to talk to locals, obviously. Because usually guides are in what they do because they're interested in interacting with people from all over the world and they want to talk about their city or the place that they're from. Yeah. So when we were in Nepal, we went trekking with this guy named Raiwadi and I'll put his Facebook page on the show notes just because he showed us around and he had a lot of really great information about the area. So we learned so much from him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way of learning about a place without going on like a bus tour or like a big walking tour or something like that. Yeah. And they can give you more. I mean, you can ask them questions and get like tips for like things that interest you. Yeah, definitely. That you might not have read about. And depending on where you're going, guides can be really inexpensive as well. Mm -hmm. So another way that you can kind of get off of the main tourist path is just to wander around, not trying to, you know, go first go there, then go over here, and you've got your whole route planned, which I I do sometimes. But (laughs) (laughs) I also like to do this, just to, like, wander around, and you just look at things, and you see what you find, and you're probably going to wander away from the big tourist attractions. Yeah, you can find really cool stuff that way. Also with a guide. (laughs) That's really helpful. Like, I'm trying to think of when I've done that. And a lot of times it's been, like, with a facilitator. Like, hey, come check out this place. Mm -hmm. It can also turn out really weird. Like, you can accidentally go somewhere where you probably don't need to be going. (laughs) But uh, then it becomes a funny story afterward. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... It depends where you are, I guess, but I think a lot of times when I wander around, you know, you see kind of like quieter streets or mm-hmm. more kind of local places, local shops or different things like that. Right, and a lot of times it also gives you insight into the way people live. Yeah. Like just people doing normal stuff. Like you might see somebody outside hanging laundry or or cooking mm-hmm. and sometimes like if a door's open you might be able to peer into somebody's home and kind of see like how it's set up don't be a creeper obviously yeah. but but it can be really interesting if that's what you're into yeah yeah you know one thing my mom really likes to do is like go to different open houses speaking of of that so oh that's smart if we're like in a place and there's like an open house sign we just walk in oh that's so funny like houses that are for sale yeah that's so funny so like i remember we did that in boston there was like an open house sign so like we went into the apartment it was so beautiful it was probably like a million dollars or something but so we just walked around and we're like wow yeah. I don't know that they have them so much outside the US, but 
if you're yeah. in the U.S., it's kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah. Another way to get off the beaten path is to just look at a map and find something that looks interesting and go there without doing any research. Is this a paper map or a GPS map, do you think? I would say a paper map. I would too. I really like getting a tourist map. I often forget, but you get a tourist map and then you know, oh, this thing is kind of close to me. This thing is kind of close to me. It looks interesting that you might not do if you didn't know that it was close to you. Yeah, I like that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I sometimes get lazy and I just don't get one, but... (laughs) Yeah. But it's it's still a good way to go. It's so useful to have a physical tourist map yeah for Mm. sure another way just take public transportation that way you have to kind of figure out like you know where you're going and sometimes if you get on a bus you don't exactly know where it's gonna go you can Mm -hmm. just kind of like look out the window and if you see something that looks interesting you can just like hop off yeah that is pretty nice i've started using the bus a lot more here Mm-hmm. Um, even though the metros are really clean, the bus is even more convenient. And it's kind of let me see the city a little bit more. And, and I like that I can kind of look out the window and be like, oh, I've never been to that place. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's the good thing about like a bus or something. Because if you're underground, you can't really see anything until you come up at like your intended destination. But if you're on the bus, and you just look and you're like, what is that weird looking statue? Or, hmm, is that a museum? Just, like, <laughs> hop off and go check it out. And then yeah. <laughs> if you want to take the bus again, you just get a different bus. Yeah. Another way to get off the beaten path is to follow a theme. I really like this one. Yeah. it's a great idea. <laughs> Me too. Like, if you are really into history, maybe you only do history-related things. So you go to a museum, you go to an archaeological site, you go to, like, a restaurant that has some kind of history to Mm -hmm. it. And that really helps you kind of specialize in something, too. When I go to a place... Usually, like, I'm trying to take in as much information as possible, and my memory is like a sieve, right? Um, But if I can just focus on, for example, when we were in Cambodia, we learned a lot about the myths um, around Angkor Wat and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they give examples of surfing, history, haunted stuff, and birds. Mm -hmm. And actually, when I travel, I really like to find like a haunted tour like a ghost tour or something cool it's always like a highlight for me wherever i have done them that's a great idea like what have what have you done i mean in charleston i've done a lot oh yeah charleston's loaded i've done a couple in dc and boston in new orleans that's all i can think of at the moment but we were looking at doing one in madrid actually oh no way we might still do that oh that's really cool um, another way is to go in a lower season or the off season. Mm-hmm. You might find something that you wouldn't see otherwise because maybe the tourists aren't like flocking to that place. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say, uh, if you go to some beach destination or something during the winter, like maybe you're going to be looking at much different things than you would if you're just going to like lie on the beach. Yeah. And finally, On the list, we have to be spontaneous. Just take risks. Don't worry too much about seeing everything that is on the list, you know? 
your mm-hmm. trip will probably be more personal and more interesting than if you just go to see all the highlights that everybody else sees. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, sometimes you you have to see the highlights as well, but you don't want to just go like exclusively for that necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm just thinking about this because my mom's there. Granada, like if you go to Granada, you have to go to the Alhambra. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, the first time I went, I didn't go, but because I couldn't get tickets. But it's so amazing. Like, What is it? The Alhambra. It's a giant set of palaces and gardens, and it's all, they're Arabic. Oh, cool. So, so a lot of Moorish? Exactly. And they're so, so beautiful. And, like, if you go to Granada, you should definitely see that, but you should also go some other less touristy places. Definitely get out and see the architecture and eat something. Because the food in Granada is really good. Yeah. (laughs) Just like a little hole-in-the-wall restaurant. That's one thing I love to do going off the beaten path is just don't look up where where you're going to eat. Just walk around the downtown area and find something that's stuffed with locals. Mm -hmm. Get in there. (laughs) Sit at a table with some locals. Now, when we were in Guangzhou, uh, we we found a little hole-in-the-wall restaurant. And it was a halal place, which there are Muslims in Western China, and they travel all over China, and they come to Southern China, and they serve the best food in Shenzhen, basically. The best Chinese food in Shenzhen. Yeah. And so we found one of those places in Guangzhou, too, and we were like, halal food it is. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. If you're nervous about doing something because you haven't read about it at all, I would say do it unless it's dangerous yeah because you're probably not gonna regret it for one reason or another yeah as long as it's not something dangerous like obviously don't go swimming with the sharks without like a cage or something i don't know (laughs) cool so let's talk about a couple of places that we've been that we feel like we've kind of done this yeah one that i wrote down was the philippines In the Philippines, we went to Manila, which is not a huge touristy place because it's kind of run down. Oh. I think it's the most densely populated city in the world. That sounds right. Yeah. And most of that is slums because there's a lot of poverty in Manila. But, you know, we were in Korea with a five-day vacation and we were like, we have to get somewhere fast. Because every hour counts, and there was a direct flight from Seoul. So we were like, all right, we're going to Manila. (laughs) And we got out of the airport and took a cab to our hotel. And in the cab, the cab driver was like, if you want, I can take you around for a few days, like, while you're here. And you can pay me, like, whatever you think is fair. Uh, And we paid him, I think, like, $50 or $100 a day, Mm -hmm. which was probably, like, a ton for him. And... He actually alternated days with his cousin okay, taking us around. And this is pretty common. I think that's how they make a lot of their money. And so one of those days, he was like, do you want to come to my family's home tomorrow and have a meal with us? And we were like, please don't kill us. Please don't kill us. Okay, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> and so we gave his family some money. And they cooked a really big meal for us with all this fresh fruit. And we got a little drunk with the cab driver and uh, just hung out with him and his family. It's kind of like eat with, yeah? Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I think you're probably right that 
like they probably make a lot of their money doing that because he like offered it kind of at the front but it's like also a really good way he showed you I guess like you know kind of the best things yeah I think so and I mean because we had transportation we were able to get out of town and go see things that we wouldn't have known how to do by ourselves definitely we went to see a volcano and like went up to the top of the volcano on horseback which I mean is another entire story in itself but (laughs) and he had connections with people who ran the tour of the volcano so he got a little bit of a kickback probably and brought some business to his friends but it was a good experience for sure and it wasn't unreasonably expensive at all yeah it was that's really cool yeah So a time that I'm thinking of was when I went to the Dominican Republic. Uh I went with my mom. And I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show or not. But (laughs) I don't think so. For many reasons, it was like one of the worst trips ever. Right. (laughs) It was like the Murphy's Law trip. Like (laughs) anything that could go wrong did go wrong. However, my mom had picked out this really like very, very remote place on the very tip of the island. So it took like six hours to drive there. And there were like two restaurants in the town. There was a resort that was not really in the town, but nearby. Mm -hmm. But in the town itself, it was like two restaurants, a supermarket and a little inn or something like that. And we ended up meeting this guy who was a tour guide. And he kind of just took us around. It was the low season. So Uh, he wasn't very busy, so he took us on some of his tours, but like, you know, privately. And so there was like a really cool waterfall hike. And then we ate with some people at their house and he took us on like a Jeep tour of where they filmed some of Jurassic Park and some other things. And so it was just really nice. He arranged for some local guys to like come take my mom dancing (laughs) (laughs) that's really nice so it was just it didn't feel like we were on the same resort thing as like everyone else which was cool yeah i think it's interesting that both of our stories involve somebody who lives there like a local that guy wasn't a local right he was an expat he was from pakistan but he had lived there for a long time yeah yeah so Somebody who is really familiar with the area, who just has time and is cool with helping you out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's cool. Another place we've gone was in Taiwan. We were in Taipei for a few days. I knew about this place. I had read about it. But north of Taiwan is a little fishing village called Danshui. Mm -hmm. And it is really charming. It's a charming little area with a lot of really good shopping. It's not totally off the beaten path. There are a lot of tourists that go there, but you have to take a little bit more time to get there. And when we we got to like one area in Danishui and we looked at a map and we were like, oh, the place where we want to go from here at the pier is not very far away. So we tried walking Mm -hmm. and We got like half an hour into the walk and we realized this is going to take way longer than we thought it would. (laughs) (laughs) And we were walking for like two hours before we got there. 
I don't think our GPS worked. And so we were just like, all right, well, there's no way to get like a ride now because we're in the middle of nowhere. And so we walked really far. We tend to do that a lot when we travel is we underestimate (laughs) (laughs) how long it's going to walk somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) And then we start walking. We see a lot of things that are definitely off the beaten path. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to see a lot. (laughs) Yeah. But it was like one of the highlights of the trip was going to this area and also walking too much. We tend to lose weight on vacation. (laughs) Also helpful. That's really cool, though. Yeah, it was awesome. So another time that recently, like last year, I went to Morocco and I was with two of my friends and one of my friends, his brother had worked with a lady who lives in Morocco, in Marrakesh. Mm -hmm. And so they got in contact and she was like, oh, I can take you. Uh, into the mountains and cool so she took us with her nephew i think they took us like in their truck up into the mountains and nice talked a lot about you know different things in morocco and they took us to this person's house cool their land to see like the view and they i think the nephew knew him somehow but not very well and they just like They were like, yeah, sure, come on, like, look. And then they, like, gave us a tour of their house. and Very cool. Yeah, and they had, like, this crazy shower that's typical from the Berber area. Um, It looks like a little cylinder with, like, a two-foot or something door at the bottom. And so you would, like, crawl in, and that was, like, the shower. (laughs) That's so crazy. Was there... Was it just a doorway that, like, didn't go up to your waist or something? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, like, it was all that kind of... freaked me out. Yeah. It was all kind of, like, outside, like, little buildings. And yeah. in one of their buildings, I think it was the kitchen, there was a cow inside. Huh. Whoa. Cool. So it was just, like, really, like, I would never have had that experience if he didn't have that contact. It was so random, yeah. but it was... Really, really interesting. Yeah, that really is the best kind of trip where you connect with a local and get to see the way they live and learn about the place through them. Yeah, so that was cool. Um, One more place I went when we were traveling around Southeast Asia was in Nepal. We went to this place called Chitwan, which is, it's not a place where a lot of tourists go, but it was organized through our hostel who set everything up for us. And they were like, okay, you can spend a few days in Chitwan. And we were like, all right, we're we're at your mercy. And, you know, trusting that this is going to be fun. And it was, it was really interesting. We actually skipped the elephant ride because we didn't want to do the benches on the elephants, but the person who ran the place took us on like a nature walk and Mm. showed us these really cool flowers that like closed up really fast when you touch them. Oh, cool. Yeah. And we learned about like the birds in the area and uh, yeah, we got to see some stuff that we wouldn't have seen otherwise just because we said yes and it turned out to be a good decision. That's so cool. Yeah, sometimes that's all it takes is just saying, sure. Yeah. 
We're along for the ride kind of thing. Yeah. Let go of the urge to control. Yeah, which can be really difficult. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Another one I was thinking of is when I was in Mexico one time, we were staying in a resort, but we left the resort like every day. I mean, we didn't stay there very much. Yeah. It's always like, oh, why did I spend that money? <laughs> I'm just using this place to sleep. I always forget that when I'm booking the hotel. Yeah. Yeah, but one of the guys we had met the year before and we had hung out with him. He worked at the hotel, but he just took us around. We had a rental car. So, I mean, one day he was like, oh, like, we can go up into the mountains and and I'll just show you, like, some different towns and things that I like. And so it was like, great, cool. And also it was the low season, so he didn't have a lot going on and flexible schedule. So he just kind of took off and drove us around like mm -hmm. four, four days probably nice. that week. But the one really cool thing, we drove by this town. And he was like, oh, this town, I know a lady here who makes like queso fresco, like fresh cheese. So yeah. he went and he like knocked on her door. She kind of like showed us how she does it and and literally the town was maybe like 500 people like wow. two streets and then we're driving and he's like oh i think they're selling green juice so he stops it's like a person's house they just have a window there are two women standing outside like waiting for this juice yeah and he's like we got to get this like <laughs> so <laughs> we just parked in the middle of the street and <laughs> They just have like a blender in their kitchen and the window open and then put it in like a little plastic bag mm -hmm. and tied it. And that was the container that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was so cool. And it was so delicious. It had like aloe and mm. orange juice and pineapple and carrots and celery. And yeah, I can't remember what else, but it was very green and apparently it helps you lose weight. Oh. <laughs> that's what he said and he said a lot of women drink it because of that oh okay in mexico oh <laughs> i love drinking things with aloe in them they're always so good yes mm -hmm. when we were in the philippines going around with that cab driver one thing that he did was there was somebody selling like coconuts on the side of the road so it was just like this little I don't, it wasn't even a stand. It was a woman at a table and there was a pile of coconuts behind her on one side and a pile of empty coconuts on the other side <laughs> or coconut shells. And she had an enormous knife and she was like chopping a coconut and they would like scoop out the meat and give it to you in mm -hmm. a little baggie and then put a straw in it somehow and then you would just drink the coconut water that way. Huh. That was one of our snacks. And I also learned about a kind of fruit that I became obsessed with after that called a rambutan. It's like the size of a golf ball, but it's spiky okay. and red. And you open it up and the meat is kind of the consistency of a grape. Uh, mm -hmm. It has a little pit, but it's really, really, really good. And they're, they just sell them, again, on tables on the side of the road and, like, by the kilo in the Philippines. Wow. So, That's cool. Mm -hmm. Well, even actually in, on this trip that I was on last week, yeah, like, in Sevilla, we knew someone. So 
he's one of my mom's friend's sons. Uh-huh. And so he showed us around and he's a really good guide. And he was like, oh, there's like this flamenco like jam session. Um, what? That's so, so cool. So we went there and it's super casual and super like this like hole in the wall bar. Nice. And just random people would, it was all improvised and they were singing. It was so cool. Wow. That sounds That was really awesome. fun. A flamenco jam bar? Yeah, they have like a jam session like three times a week or something. Damn, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in Switzerland one time, I was there with somebody who had a friend there. And mm-hmm. so we stayed with her. And then one night we took bikes to this little underground bar. And it was really, really cool. And she said, oh, we have to take bikes on the back paths because in Switzerland you need a, a license plate for your bicycle and this bike doesn't have a license plate yeah like nowhere else in the world only switzerland and (laughs) so we like took the back way to the underground bar and then we went we went in and the music was really really good and it was like crowded it was really fun experience for sure that's so cool it's something i definitely wouldn't have done (laughs) Yeah. Do you have anywhere on your bucket list that you'd want to go off the beaten path? I'd like to go some places in in South America. Yeah. I've only been like for four days to Peru, which obviously is not enough even for like one city. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd really like to go back there. Argentina, I'd really like to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are several places and I think you can do a lot of kind of like very interesting nature things and cultural things. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, on this list that I found of, it's from this website called rusticpathways.com. And it lists a bunch of places that are off the beaten path. And one of them is in Peru. It's called Huacachina. Uh-huh. It looks like it's kind of in the middle of a desert almost. Cool. Um, yeah. It says, Huacachina is what you'd think of if someone told you to visualize a desert mirage. Palm trees surround this town of 100, which is bordered on all sides by sand dunes five hours south of Lima in the Peruvian desert. Mm. Yeah. Long a destination for local families, it's only recently been discovered by those with an interest in sandboarding and dune buggies. Ooh, that sounds <laughs> so cool. Yeah. In the... And when we go to Thailand, one of the things on our bucket list is to go to see a Karen village um, when we're trekking. Oh, cool. And you might not have heard of the Karen people before. It's a very small minority group from Myanmar. And a lot of them have fled to northern Thailand um, because of the political unrest in Myanmar. But they're the people who they're really famous because they have the rings around their necks. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, it doesn't actually make their necks longer. It just pushes down their collarbones and their torso, so it shortens their torso. Oh, really? Yeah. There's, that's cool. That's, like, in northern Thailand. I just found that out, and so maybe I'll have some stories when we get back from there. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Uh, anywhere that you want to go? Um. Well, I think that is definitely one of them. Also, I've heard so many great things about Eastern Europe, and I just haven't made it there I was talking to a guy who lived in Saudi Arabia for a really long time, and he's American, and his son married a woman from Albania, Mm. and 
their wedding was in like this Albanian castle and he built, he bought some land in Albania and apparently it's like a really, really gorgeous area in the mountains. Cool. Albania, like that whole like Transylvania kind of area. Like the old Yugoslavia? Yeah. Vlad Dracula is from. That sounds like a really <laughs> cool area. I read this book called um, Backpacking with Dracula and made me want to go there. Cool. Yeah. You went to the Balkans. Mm-hmm. Was that kind of off the beaten path? or? Well, in some cities, like Dubrovnik was not off the beaten path. Yeah. Where we were in Montenegro was also a bit more touristy. Mm-hmm. But some places, like in Macedonia, some places in Bosnia, while a little bit touristy, they were still pretty, I think, not that frequently traveled. Huh. That sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had never even really... I think I'd seen the Balkans on a map, but until you talked yeah. about it, I never thought about it as like a destination. Yeah. Well, actually, Kosovo was really off the beaten path. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Where is... It was like... Is that in the Balkans? I'm sorry. It's in the Balkans. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just not touristy. Yeah. I mean, it was to the point where it was almost like, what do you do here? Like, <laughs> as a tourist, <laughs> there's nothing really designed for us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's like Korea, actually. I've been to a lot of places that were off the beaten path in Korea, but they're so Uh off the beaten path that Koreans don't expect tourists to even go there, like international tourists, so there's nothing. Mm -hmm. You probably experienced this, too, when you were there. Like, there's nothing in English to help you out. (laughs) There's barely anything in English, like in Seoul, even. Yeah, it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah. It's just not set up for tourists. So when you go there, you're definitely off the beaten path. And it's all about your perspective as to whether or not you're going to have a good time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So I think that kind of wraps up our tips for that. Yeah, I think so. Um, And as we've been talking about it, I've been thinking about more things that I've done as well. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, me too. I forgot a lot of stuff. I also, uh, one thing that I just remembered that I think is one of my favorite ways that I've seen a lot of things is um, riding a bike. Yeah, definitely. Like bike tours. Yeah, so like if you ride in between cities and stuff, you can just kind of like ride around. You get to see more in a shorter period of time, yeah. but still like you have the freedom to stop whenever you want mm-hmm. or and you get exercise. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, it's like walking but faster. Exactly. Yeah, I really have liked when I've done that. Yeah, when we were in Beijing, which is not off the beaten path, <laughs> we used our MoBike subscription, mm-hmm. which is the dockless bike sharing here and it was really great like we didn't use public transportation or a taxi once um except for getting to and from the hotel while we were there cool yeah so we were like able to go above ground and then we found out there's no bike parking within like a mile radius of all the touristy things (laughs) but that's okay it was really interesting so i totally agree that's a really good point so if you have any tips that we didn't share, feel free to drop us a line. Yeah. Um, we'd love to hear your ideas. And if there are any interesting ones, we'll share them 
on social media or something. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Let us know and make sure to send us your Lost in Translation moments. We are waiting for them. (laughs) You can do that on our website via the voice recorder in our contact section, or you can send us a voice memo to languagenerds2earth at gmail.com. Yeah, and subscribe to the podcast. That way you get all the episodes as soon as they are released, and you don't have to wait or wonder, like, when is the next... Language Nerds to Earth episode coming out. If you're subscribed, it does it automatically. <laughs> Isn't that great? Technology is so <laughs> grand. Uh, follow us on social media. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. You can also subscribe to our blog on our website, where we write about our experiences living and traveling abroad. Yeah, and please leave us a review. It just takes a few minutes. And it really helps us to grow the podcast and tell your friends about it. Yeah, that's how I subscribe to podcasts usually is people tell me about it when they heard and they say, you should really listen to this. And then I do because my friend told me to do it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And our next episode is going to be about idioms across different languages and how they reflect their culture. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. (laughs) So you can learn all about it. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody, and have a great week. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.